Well, I'm, uh, I'm pumped to be in the middle, or really on the last week, it's a two-week series of a, of a series called All In. A series called All In. Everybody say All In. Last week, we talked about being all in in our relationship with Jesus, how it's so easy to be kind of in. It's so easy to be kind of in. I, I may go, uh, uh, I'm in between jobs right now, uh, we're kind of dating, like everything in life is set up to where we can receive some benefits from it, but not have to commit to be all in. And so last week was all about being all in in our relationship with Jesus, whatever that one thing is that's holding us back. And so today I want to talk about being all in for our church, all in for our church. And just knowing that we're talking about being all in for church today, it reminded me of a of a joke I heard a while back. A mother went to wake her son up for church one Sunday morning, and, and when she knocked on his door, uh, he knew why she was there, and he said, I'm not going, Mom. I'm not going. She said, well, why not? And he said, well, I'll give you two good reasons why I'm not going. One, they don't like me, and two, I don't like them. And his mother replied, well, I'll give you two good reasons why you will go to church. Number one, you're 47 years old. Number two, you're the pastor. Some days, some days it feels like that, but we're going to talk about being all in for church today, why it's important and why it's more than maybe what we, what we think it is. So we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. If you've got a Bible or you're using a phone or whatever you use, go over there, Hebrews 10. It's going to be up on the screen for you as well. Hebrews 10, I'm going to start in verse 19, I'm going to start in verse 19 and and read for a few verses. We're going to jump right in today. So much we want to say. I'm just going to jump right in. All right? Hebrews uh, chapter 10, verse 19. Here's what it says. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. This is a famous uh, passage of Scripture. That we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place. You may have heard it in another translation that we can boldly enter the throne room of God. So it says we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Verse 20, by his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way. Everybody say life-giving. So because of Jesus on the cross, he opened up a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, that's, that's us, God's house, the church, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. A few more verses, 23. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And then verse 25, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now they offer college classes that take weeks to break down that passage that we just read right there. And that's not, we're not going to go that deep this morning, but there is so much good stuff in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. And the most important of everything that we read in there is, is the fact that Jesus, when he went to the cross, when Jesus went to the cross, when he died on the cross, he provided a life-giving way to know Jesus. 
He provided a life-giving way to know Jesus. Now, there's a difference between a life-giving relationship with Jesus and religion. There's a difference between life-giving relationship with Jesus and religion because religion is life-zapping. Religion is is life-draining. Maybe you've tried to know Jesus through religion before, and the longer you tried, the worse you felt. I don't mind asking you to raise your hand, but you kind of know what I'm talking about. You say, Jason, I've tried to do the rules and regulations. I've tried to wear the right clothes. I've tried to do all the right stuff that somebody told me I had to do, should have done, this and that. And i got to tell you, it did not feel life-giving to me. It felt life-draining to me. I've been there. I know you've probably been there too. The more you try, the more defeated you feel. There's usually probably some religious person always standing nearby to tell you what you're not doing right, you know, and, and just draining the life out of you. But a life-giving relationship with Jesus is different than religion. It gives life. It's invigorating. It brings us life. It lifts us up. And Paul goes on to describe what a life-giving relationship with Jesus is supposed to look like. He gives it all to us right here in these verses that we just read. And I want to take a lot of time, but I just want to kind of fire them at you real quick. So he said, Jesus on the cross gives us a life-giving way to know Jesus. And then he describes what life-giving way to know Jesus looks like. The first thing he says in, uh, in verse 22 is he said, let us go right into the presence of God. A life-giving relationship with Jesus is a relationship where you can freely and regularly be in the presence of God. In other words, you feel God near you. Sometimes with religion, it feels like God's a million miles away, but in a life-giving relationship with Jesus, you feel God near you. You can be in the presence of God, whether you're at church or whether you're at home. You say, I feel the presence of God. Let me ask you a question this morning. I ask for a little participation. How many of you at any season in your life have ever felt distant from God? Let me see your hand. You've ever felt distant from God? Yeah, yeah. Paul says you can have a life-giving way of knowing Jesus, and you can feel life in the presence of God. He keeps on going in verse 22. And he says that we can have a life-giving relationship with Jesus gives us a sincere heart. Gives us sin, sincere hearts. I don't know about you, but let me ask you a question this morning. Anybody in here, you've ever had the wrong motives before in life? Let me see your hand. You've ever had the wrong motives? A few of us. Yeah, I've had the wrong motives before in life. And, and Paul says that when you have a life-giving relationship with Jesus, that it changes your heart. Sometimes with religion, you can have the wrong heart and you're trying to do the right actions, but you got the wrong heart. And he says, no, a life-giving relationship with Jesus is having a sincere heart. He goes on to say, fully trusting God. We're talking about a life-giving relationship with Jesus. He said, life-giving relationship looks like a fully trusting relationship with God. Let me ask you a question this morning because we're participating. How many of you have ever struggled to fully trust God? Let me see your hand. You've struggled to fully trust God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Paul says, Jesus gave us a way to have a life-giving relationship with Jesus where we can fully trust him. He gives us two more. You go on a little bit further. And he says that you can have uh, no guilty conscience. No guilty conscience. That a life-giving relationship with Jesus is free from guilt 
and shame and condemnation. Let me ask you another question this morning. Anybody in here ever felt like your past is chasing you? Let me see your hand. You ever felt like your past is chasing you? Yeah. Yeah. So we want a life-giving relationship with Jesus that where we feel free. We don't feel guilt and shame and condemnation like our past is chasing us. And then one more, Paul says, we've been washed pure water. Let us hold tightly, verse 23, without wavering. Without wavering. Let me ask you one more question this morning. Anybody ever felt like sometimes your faith is slipping? You struggle, feel like you're wavering, you're falling sometimes? Yeah, me too, me too. So Paul says if we try to serve God without this life-giving relationship, we're probably going to feel distant. We're probably going to have the wrong motives. We're probably going to struggle to fully trust him. We're going to feel guilt and shame and condemnation. And we're always going to feel like we're slipping. But if we want to have a life-giving relationship with Jesus, we can because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so nobody in here would turn that down. We all want that. We all want a life-giving relationship with Jesus. We all want to feel like we're in the presence of God. We all want to feel like our motives are pure, that we're fully trusting God, that we're not guilty, that we're not wavering. But it's hard. I don't know about you, but I, we can struggle. If you're like me, like we can struggle to have those qualities about our relationship with God. And Paul tells us in verse 25 how... We can have that life-giving relationship with all of those qualities. What did he say in verse 25? He said, get together, get together. Get all the people who are trying to have life-giving relationships with Jesus. Get them together. Don't neglect that. Don't, don't stay away from that. Get together and encourage one another. Get together and encourage one another. So in other words, here's what Paul's saying. Paul is saying that you're going to try your best on your own to have a life-giving relationship with Jesus. You, you, you're accepting him, you're following him, and you're going to try your best. But here's what's going to happen to you because it happens to every single one of us. You're going to go through seasons in your life where you don't feel the presence of God. He feels a million miles away, and you don't feel him near you. You're going to go through seasons in life where it feels like your heart's not in the right place, your motives are not pure, you're going to go through seasons in life where you struggle to fully trust God. You got a report from the doctor. You got a call from insurance. You got a, a note from your boss saying you need to meet in the morning. You got a marriage that's struggling, and you're going to struggle to fully trust God. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. There's going to be seasons in your life where you're going to feel so guilty and so condemned. Even though you're trying to have that life-giving relationship with Jesus, you're going to feel guilt and shame and condemnation. Maybe you run into a friend from your past. There's going to be seasons where you're wavering, where you don't feel like you're standing strong, where your faith is struggling and your relationship with God is wavering. And Paul said, the reason that you need to make sure you don't neglect getting together is because you need each other. You need each other because your faith is, is wavering and they don't feel the presence of God and their heart's not right and they feel guilty. And you got to get together because you need each other. And you need to encourage each other so that we can all have a life-giving relationship with Jesus. So I want to show you a story. I, I was actually going to kind of go a little bit of a different direction uh, to talk about being all in for church. And, and yesterday, just felt very moved after talking to some of the men yesterday. Just felt very moved 
to talk about Exodus chapter 17. If you've got a Bible, go to Exodus 17. If not, it's going to be up on the screen. Exodus 17, verse 8. And here's what it says in Exodus 17, verse 8. This is about Moses. It's got some weird names in here, so I'm just going to give it my best shot. You ready? Here we go. Exodus 17, verse 8. It said, while the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. And Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. Verse 10, so Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, so I don't know how much you know about Moses, but this was his walking stick. This was his staff, and God used it to do miraculous things. And so in this instance, God had told Moses, hold up the staff. And so as long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Verse 12, Moses' arms soon became so tired, he could no longer hold them up. In this story, Moses and the Israelites are fighting a battle. And this relates to us because all of us in the room this morning are fighting some kind of battle. All of us in the room this morning are fighting some type of battle. I don't know what battle you're fighting. Maybe you're fighting a battle against addiction. Maybe you're fighting a battle against fear. Maybe you're fighting a battle against worry and anxiety. Maybe you're fighting a battle for your kids. Maybe you're fighting a battle for your marriage. Maybe you're fighting a battle against depression. All of us are fighting a battle. The Bible says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers of the air, in other words, that there's what's happening here, but there's also what's happening around us, these spiritual battles that we fight. And what I love about this story is that God gave Moses the strategy. God gave Moses the solution to win the battle, but he didn't give him supernatural stamina. I, I love that. So Moses knows exactly what he needs to do in order to win, but he doesn't have supernatural strength. He's got the, the solution, but he doesn't have the stamina. And let me tell you something about you. The same thing is true for you. If you want to know what to do, you can find out what to do. If you want to know the answer, we can give you the answer. If you want to know the solution, we can give you the solution. But God gives us the solution, but he doesn't give us supernatural strength or stamina so that we never struggle in our battle to win. Does that make sense to everybody? And so we know what we need to do, but we don't always have the stamina to keep winning the battle. And that's what I love about the church, and that's what I love about the body of Christ. Because church doesn't just give us solutions, it gives us the stamina to keep the faith. Church doesn't just give us the solutions, it gives us the stamina to keep the faith. So look what happened. Exodus 17, we're going to keep reading verse 12. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him. This is the same story about Moses to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady. Everybody say steady. So his hands held steady until sunset. And as a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. 
I love this. Moses had the solution. Moses had the strategy, but he didn't have the strength in order to see it through. And so two of his friends, two of his partners, two of his leaders came alongside of him and held up his arms so that they could win the battle. And I can't think of a better story. I can't think of a better depiction of what the church is in our life than that right there. So you show up and you say, Jason, I don't feel the presence of God in my life. You show up and you say, Jason, I do feel like my faith is, is wavering. I, I do feel like my heart isn't right. I do feel guilt and shame and condemnation. And you know what to do to have that life-giving relationship with Jesus, but you just can't hold it all up. Anybody in here like Moses, you've ever struggled to just keep it all up? Hold it all up, keep it all going, keep all the plates spinning? I don't know about you, but it can get heavy trying to make sure everything stays in the air. The bills get paid. The kids get to do all their activities and their sports. You spend enough time with your wife. You, you're a good employee. You're a good friend. You're trying to do everything and to keep it all up and have a life-giving relationship with Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I know about me, and I feel like Moses sometimes. I just get tired. It's just hard to keep it all up, to keep holding it all. And so if we will let the church and the body of Christ, people will come around us and they will encourage us. That's what Paul said. He said, get together and motivate each other. Anybody ever need motivation? Yeah, yeah. So Paul says, get together, motivate each other, and encourage one another. In other words, Paul says, get together, and there's going to be people in the body, and we're all in different seasons, but there's going to be people in the body, they're, they're getting tired, they know the solution, but they don't have the strength or the stamina, and what I want you to do, church, is I want you to encourage one another, and I want you to help them keep their arms up. I read a story recently about a guy named John. John decided to get help when his son broke his arm. John was having an affair with a woman at work, and she told him that she wanted to end it, and so he went to a bar and, and had two vodkas, went back to work at his desk, and at lunch he went to Chili's with a friend and had a few beers. Then about 2 o'clock, he and another friend left and found a place with a two-for-one happy hour. And it was his day to pick up the kids from school, and his wife didn't know about the affair yet, and... So he left the bar, he got in the car, he went to pick up his kids from school. And driving home, he was on a street that he had driven a thousand times when all of a sudden he slammed into a stop sign at the end of the block. And his son Sam, his son Sam hadn't put on his seatbelt. And so he flew against the windshield and he broke his arm. And there was, there was blood on the dash where he hit his nose and the windshield was cracked where, it had, where, where he had hit it with his arm and... It scared John so badly that he decided he needed to get some, some help. And so he checked into a clinic. And uh, when he came out, everything was pretty good for a while. For about thir 13 months, everything was great. Felt like he was in control. And he went to meetings every couple of days. But eventually, he started thinking to himself, I'm not such a lo loser that I need to hang out with a bunch of drunks all the time. So he stopped going. Thirteen months later, he gets a call from his mom who tells him 
on her way home from her doctor's appointment that the doctor said she had cancer. And so after almost two months of being sober, sober, he finds out his mom, two, two years, excuse me, finds out his mom has gotten cancer. And when he hangs up the phone, he goes straight to a bar. And John said he was pretty much drunk for the next two years of his life until his wife moved out. And he was in a really bad place by then. A friend was teaching him to use coke. And every afternoon he would do a line inside of his office. And five minutes later when he would get that little drip in the back of his throat, he would do a, another line. And one afternoon, it was John's turn to get his kids from school again. And he said he felt, he felt fine. And so he got in his car. He was headed to get them. And when he pulled through a red light at an intersection, a truck came through and hit him in the side and knocked his car over. He didn't have a scratch on him, so he got out and started trying to push his car back over right side up. Because he figured if he could get his car turned over and get out of there before the cops showed up, he would be okay. Of course, he couldn't turn the car over. The cops showed up. He was arrested for a DUI. And before they put him in the car, they showed him the passenger side of the car that was completely smashed in. And he realized that that's usually where his son, Sam, sat. And if he had been in the car with him, if he had made it to the school, his son would be dead. So John started going to meetings again. His sponsor told him that it didn't matter if he felt in control without a higher power in his life and without admitting that he was powerless. None of it was going to work. John thought it was a bunch of bull talking about a higher power because he was a proclaimed atheist. But he knew that if something didn't change, he was going to hurt or kill someone he loved, probably his kids. So he started working at it working at believing in something bigger than himself, and started working. According to John, there was a, a power that, that was helping him to stay sober, and it's helped him to stay sober for seven years now. But, but some mornings he says that he doesn't wake up sober. He hasn't had a drink in seven years, but there are some mornings when he wakes up and he's sure he's going to fall that day. And on those days, he has to look for a higher power, and he calls his sponsor, and most of the time, they don't talk about drinking. They talk about life and marriage and John's job, and by the time he's ready for a shower, his head is on straight. But here's why I tell you that whole story, because I love the way it ends. When John was asked why the program worked now after it had failed him before, this is what he said. He said, when I started coming to meetings after the truck accident, this was the second time. Someone asked for volunteers to help put away chairs. So I raised my hand. It wasn't a big thing. It took like five minutes. But it felt good to do something that wasn't all about me. And I think that started me on a different path. Sometimes we don't realize how helping someone else helps us. Sometimes we don't realize how helping someone else lift their arms helps us keep our arms up. I don't want to over-dramatize it, but based on what he just said, it seems to me that the way John got sober was when he decided to volunteer to put up the chairs. But there's one more little part. Leanne uh, Cascadas, a senior scientist at the Alcohol Research Group, 
when asked about the effectiveness of AA, this is what she said. I love this. She said, at some point, when you go to AA, you look around the room and you think, if it worked for that guy, I guess it can work for me. There's something really powerful she said about groups and shared experiences. People might be skeptical about their ability to change if they're uh, doing it by themselves. But here's this line, and I love it. But a group will convince them to suspend disbelief. You ready? Here's her line. A community creates belief. I love it. I love it. These are people doing scientific research about AA. This is not even the church that Jesus Christ said he was going to build where the Holy Spirit is active. And she says there's something powerful about getting together and looking around and saying, well, they did it. They hung in there. They survived. They didn't quit. They fought for their marriage. And community creates belief. So Paul says, why would you neglect the opportunity to gather together with other people trying to have a life-giving relationship with Jesus so they can encourage you and keep your hands up? I want to ask you a few questions this morning. And I'm asking you to be honest. This is a judgment-free zone here. I just want to ask you to be honest because your honesty is going to help somebody else, all right? First question, raise your hand in here if you've ever had to fight hard not to lose your marriage. Let me see your hand. If you've ever had to fight hard, now hold it up high. Come on, hold it up high. Don't be ashamed. Hold it up high. You made it. Here you are. Hold it up high. All right, now, keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. Look around. If you're in a season of life right now, where you're having to work hard to keep your marriage from falling apart, or maybe you're not working hard yet, but you're not sure if you're going to make it, take a second and look around. Look at everybody's arms that are up. Because Paul says you need to get here as often as you can because all these people right here will help you and motivate you and encourage you to keep your arms up when you think you can't hold your marriage up anymore. Put them down, put them down. Let me ask you another question. Raise your hand if you've ever had to battle serious sickness or cancer in your body. Let me see your hand. Raise it up. You've had to battle serious sickness. Uh, for your, okay, keep your arms up. Keep your arms up. Look around if you're in a season of life right now where you're having to battle serious sickness, cancer, reports, doctor, you're scared you're going to die. Look around. And Paul says, don't neglect gathering together because you can be motivated and encouraged that you feel like you're going to die. But guess what? They made it. And they'll tell you how they did it. And they'll tell you the thoughts that you don't think anybody knows you're thinking. And they'll tell you about being afraid. They'll tell you about treatment. And Paul says, get together so they can keep your arms up. Let me ask you one more question. Raise your hand in here. If you've ever had to fight really hard to keep your faith in God because you didn't feel like you were going to be able to make it. Let me see your hand. If you've ever had to just fight like hell to keep your faith. Let me see your hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, keep them up. Everybody look around. Maybe you're in a season right now where you say, Jason, I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep the faith. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it the distance and really serve God. Look around. Look around. You see them with their arms up? Paul says, why would you neglect coming together? You can put them down. Why would you neglect coming together so that you can be motivated and encouraged? It's like, it's like what you need to keep your arms up. You need motivation and encouragement. 
And you're surrounded by people who can tell you what it feels like to have to fight for your faith. Fight for strength to keep going and not throw in the towel. You have a choice to have a life-giving relationship with Jesus, but you cannot do it on your own. You cannot do it on your own. You may have the solution, but you don't have the stamina. You may have the strategy, but you don't have the strength to do it on your own. So we come to church. Paul says we come to church so that we can be motivated and encouraged. Are we going to miss sometimes? Yeah. We're going to go on vacation. We just want me and my wife just went on vacation. We're going two a year, one with kids and one without. We, we, yes. Do we go to the lake? Yeah. Do we do six flags? Yeah, we do those things. But we're going to sit down and we are going to prioritize God's house and be all in for God's house. Because if we don't, we won't be able to keep our arms up. We won't be able to keep our arms up. So, yeah, it relaxes us scientifically and emotionally and physically to be away. But when we come together in God's house, it replenishes us spiritually so that we can keep our arms up. And so the next time we find ourselves, and I'm not saying this with guilt, I'm saying this just as a, someone trying to help you and push you and encourage you and motivate you. The next time we're having to decide between being all in for God's house or being all in for something else, we got to ask ourselves, what are we trying to accomplish? Are we trying to accomplish a life-giving relationship with Jesus? Because this is the place to come, to be motivated and encouraged. And so Paul says, get together, get together. Why are you not getting together? Get together more. Be together more. Don't neglect that. Get together so you can motivate and encourage one another. And every single week, you have a choice. Did you know that? That every single week, you have an opportunity, a choice to make. You can either be a taker or a giver. You can either just be an attender or you can be a solution. You can be an answer to someone's prayer. And I want to show you real quick. Brad, will you come help me real quick? Grab that bag. Let Brad have that bag right there. Brad is bringing up a backpack full of really heavy rocks. I chose Brad because of his manly strength. Go ahead. You're going to need both straps by the time we're done. Go ahead and put those on. All right. So our, our verse around here, if you've been coming here, you know that our verse around here uh, for Hope City Church is Matthew eleven, twenty-eight, and 30, through 30. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry big backpacks of rocks, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. So Jesus says... Brad, all you got to do is come to me, and I will exchange that backpack for something a whole lot lighter. And that makes perfect sense. It's a solution. It's a strategy. We've got it. But if we could just be honest about our culture and our society, very few people go straight to God anymore. When they say, I need to find God, they think, I need to find church. They, I mean, yes, God can save them in a bar. Yes, God can save them at an AA meeting. I, God can do anything. But the society that we live in, the culture we live in, like t- people say, I need to find God. They say, I need to find a church. I need to get back in church. I'll find God in church. They better find God here. And so, and so I think it would be fair for us to say that Jesus said, come to church 
come to church. We're not talking about replacing a relationship with Jesus, but we're saying you'll find him here. Come to church, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and let me teach you because I'm humble, gentle at heart. You'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Where? At church where you find Jesus. So Brad is our example today. Brad is, um, Brad's a great guy. I love Brad. Hypothetically, I'm going to say some bad things about Brad here for just a second, but that's not true. Um, But Brad shows up in church, and Brad hasn't been to church in 12 years. He told his mom when he moved out of the house, I ain't never going back to church. And he hadn't been there in 12 years, but Brad's not in a great place right now. And so some guy at church wouldn't leave him alone, and And so he decided that he was going to show up, or maybe he drives past Hope City Church every day, and so he drives, and and, and he decides, you know what, I'm going to go there because that's where I'm going to go. And so he shows up one day, and Brad walks into Hope City Church carrying his backpack of heaviness, burden on his life. Let me ask you a question. How many people have ever had a bad church experience? Let me see your hand. Bad church experience. Right? We got bad church experience. Brad had them too. Brad grew up and church was dead, boring, religious. All the old women were mean. All the men were hypocrites. And I mean, like, it was just, he didn't want nothing to do with that. And so he's coming in with these preconceived notions and he's coming in with burdens and, and he's coming in with heaviness in his life. But here's what's amazing. Jesus said, come to me. We're going to say come to church if you're weary and you carry heavy burdens. And so Brad walks in one day, and when he pulls in, Brad happens to care about landscaping. This is going to blow your mind, but Brad used to own a landscaping business. And so he cares about landscaping. And so he pulls in, and he sees that the grass has been cut, and that the weeds have been pulled out, and that somebody trimmed the sides, and the mulch has been put out, and it doesn't look like the building has been uh, uh, foreclosed on. And he thinks, well, man, somebody really took care of the grass. Devin, come on up here for me real quick. Devin, go ahead. Because Devin is the guy who's got a heart. Not really, I'm making this up. But Devin is the guy who's got the heart for the landscaping. And he thinks he's just cutting grass, but he doesn't realize he's not just cutting grass. Go ahead and take a rock out of there. Stand there with us. So Brad comes in carrying heavy burdens and and heavy, like just, it's heavy. And it's something as silly as grass. We haven't even got to Jesus yet. But just because the grass is cut, he says, I think I may like this place because Brad cares about landscaping. Did it feel a little bit lighter when he took that rock out? Yeah, just say yes, even if it didn't. Okay, it did. All right. (laughs) And so he parks his car, and there's somebody standing out in the parking lot that says, hey, what's up, man? How you doing? And somebody's smiling, and somebody's got hospitality in their blood and they're they're looking for people who may be coming to church for the first time in 12 years Amy come on up here for me and so Amy's out in the parking lot and she's like hey how you doing I'm Amy so glad you're here today yeah and she and Brad's like well man these people seem nice I've only seen one of them but she seems nice and so she says hey and and what she you, you think you're just saying hey you think you're just shaking a hand but what you're doing is you're 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 helping his heavy burden did that get lighter when you took that out yeah it looked got lighter so Brad parks his car, he walks in the door, and Brad has a coffee addiction. And, uh, and so, you know, but he had other addictions, but now it's just cigarettes and coffee. And so he walks in, and he, he goes over to get his coffee, and he pulls out his wallet, and they say, no, 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 it's free, we give away the coffee here. 
He says, free coffee? He says, yeah, it's free coffee. John, come on up here and help me. And so John's behind the counter there working the coffee. And John gives him the coffee with a smile and says, hey, man, so glad you're here today. Uh, hope you like the coffee. If you need anything, let me know. And Brad's thinking, man, they cut the grass. They smile at me. They give me free coffee. Did I just get a little bit lighter? Yep, got a little bit lighter. And so he's got his son with him, and so he takes his son over to the check-in center, and instead of there being this long line like the DMV, there's people over there with computers and scanners and in line, and, and he goes right through the line, but he's not in the system, and so they get his information as fast as possible, smiling, helping, being hospitable, working it, gives him the, the, the sticker, but Brad don't know anybody around here, but he sees somebody wearing a security shirt because this is going to be secure, and they introduce him to his teacher, and Brad's thinking, man, these people really take care of my children. Christine, come on up here and help me out. So Christine has got this strategy she's put together because we want people to make sure that they feel secure and safe and their children feel safe and secure, and so, and so Brad's like, man, these people are cutting the grass and smiling and giving me free coffee and taking care of my kids. Are we getting lighter? Are we getting lighter? And so he goes and checks in. He comes in. He doesn't know where to sit. And, you know, when he grew up in church, there was the sign seats. You know, it was like a plaque on the side. Anybody seen the plaque on the pews? You got to give big money for that, right? We'll, we'll save you one around here if you want to write a check, but we don't, we don't have any of those around here. Just ask me the number. I'll give it to you. It's big. So, so walks in and there's Joy. Joy's like, hey, how are you doing? So glad you're here. Can I help you find a seat? How many seats do you need? And Brad says, well, I'm just by myself. And she says, well, let me introduce you to somebody because we don't have anybody sitting by themselves. And so she goes and helps somebody. Joy, come help me out up here. And so Joy gets a, gets a bag out of the, uh, a rock out of the bag. And, and Brad's like, man, they're cutting grass. They're smiling at me, giving me free coffee, taking care of my kids, making sure I don't sit by myself and, and helping me. And, and I walked in, you know, Brad walked in late because who gets to church early, right? And, and so the music's playing. He didn't know where to sit. And Joy finds him somewhere to sit and, and sits him down. And when he sits down, and he was growing up, the music was like this organ and these people that couldn't sing, but their uncle was on the deacon's board. And so they got to sing. And so his feet always hurt, and he didn't want to do nothing. But he walks in here, and there's these people smiling up on the stage, and it's loud. And it sounds like that concert he went to at the Yum Center because it's got some volume to it. And people are up here jumping, enthusiastic about Jesus. And he's not worshiping yet because he don't have a relationship with Jesus, but he's like, they seem to like it. I mean, I guess if it works for them, maybe it could work for me. Andrea, come on up here. And so Andrea's up here leading the worship, and, and Brad's thinking, Man, they're cutting the grass, smiling at me, giving me free coffee, taking care of my kids, making sure I have somewhere to sit. And they seem to love what they're doing. Are we getting lighter over here? How are we looking over here? And so Brad's sitting there, and the music is, is going good, and he's liking it, and people are worshiping around him. And we can keep going and giving example after example after example. But then I step up, and I preach about Jesus. And I preach about how Jesus can take that heavy burden and make it light. But Brad's thinking to himself, I already feel better than I felt in 12 years. I ain't felt this good in 12 years. I think I may give this thing a chance. And by the time he decides to put his faith in Jesus, he feels already better than he's ever felt before. 
Because culture and environment makes way more difference than the sermon. I love to preach the sermon, but it makes a way more difference. And who would know that Brad may never even make the decision to put his faith in Jesus if the grass hadn't been cut and nobody's in the parking lot and nobody's giving him any coffee, but they did, but it was terrible coffee and there's nobody helping with the check-in and there's nobody helping to be seated and the music is so bad that people cover their ears and the preacher gets up and he's not prepared and he's saying, man, this is exactly like I thought it was and I don't feel no better and this ain't going to make me no better. But Jesus says, come to me, all you are heavy and weary. And he says that you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Let me have this bag. And so Brad decides one day, you know what? I want to have a life giving relationship with Jesus and he walks out of these doors instead of carrying around this heavy burden he walks around with a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light there you go y'all can take that y'all can be seated thanks that's why we got to come together that's why we got to be the church that's why we got to serve That's why we got to be all in because, yes, it's for us to encourage and be motivated, but it's also for us to motivate and encourage and to help people get their hands up, lift their hands up, throw them up, wave them around like they just don't care, whatever. You know what I'm saying? I mean, just get your hands up and let people help you. I've gone way over my time, and I'm kind of apologizing, but not really. When you came in today, you were given a... um, or it was in your seat when you came in. It looks like this. I want you to pull it out real quick. We're challenging you today to make a commitment. I know some of you, your first time guests, but I'm not going to, you know, say that you can't do this because maybe you're ready to jump in today and to do this. But we're challenging everyone today to make a commitment to be all in. We're starting a 10-week all-in campaign for our church. 10 weeks. What would your life look like if you decided to be all in for God's house? What would happen to your faith if you decided to be all in for God's house? What would happen to other people's faith if, they, if you decided to be all in for God's house? And there's some information in there. It's very self-explanatory. But we're challenging you to be all in in five areas. Now, some of you guys, you're already all in in some of these areas. But I want you to just pray and assess where you are. Some of you, you're like a go-to-church-every-eight-weeks type of person. And, and so you got to think through this and see where you need to be all in. But we're challenging you to be all in in five areas. We want you to be all in in attendance serving, giving, praying, and inviting. What would happen in your life and the life of somebody else if you said, you know what, I'm going to be all in. I'm going to attend. I'm going to serve. I'm going to give. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite. So what does that look like? Everything's based on 10 weeks. We're challenging you to not miss church for the next 10 weeks. Cancel what's ever on the books. Sell the tickets. Just be in church. God, I'm going to commit for the next 10 weeks I'm not missing church. I want to see what you're going to do in my life. I want you to attend. We're challenging you for the next 10 weeks to serve. That's what this card is. I'll come back to that in just a second. We're challenging you for the next 10 weeks to give. Some of you in here, you're just a taker. You've been feeling it out, and I get that. But listen, we're challenging you for the next 10 weeks. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to give 10% of my income. And if you just had a heart attack, you're going to give something, some percentage of your income because you're trying to build God's house because people need to find a breath of fresh air in the south end of Louisville. And you're giving to help that happen. So you say, you know what, for the next 10 weeks, all everything, all the income that comes in, I'm going to give. I'm going to tithe. For the next 10 weeks, we're challenging you to join with us to pray. 
effort we're going to have starting this Saturday, August the 20th, through October 15th, every Saturday morning at 9 a.m., I'm going to be here, and we're going to have a time of prayer. We're going to be for one hour with worship and with prayer from 9 to 10 a.m., and I'm inviting all of you, as many as can. There'll be no child care, so maybe one spouse has to come, and y'all can trade off, but I'm challenging all of you to be here spend 10 weeks. God, what could happen in my life if I prayed for 10 weeks? And then inviting the number 10. Write down the names of 10 friends or family members that you're going to invite over the next 10 weeks. I actually got a yes from a guy this week who's coming to church. I've been inviting him for two and a half years. He said he wasn't interested. We play golf together. Out of the blue, he texted me. He said, you know, I think me and my wife are going to start looking for a church. What's the name of yours again? I texted the staff. I was like, two and a half years. I'm pumped. Don't y'all screw it up when he gets here, by the way. Um, So write down the name of 10 friends that you're going to invite. So today we're asking you to consider taking the next 10 weeks every week to serve. We have two services. That means you can serve at one and you can attend one. And so we provided a card. This is every area that you could serve in the church. Every area where you get to take a rock out of somebody's backpack. Every area you can serve, you can fill that out, look through there, check that off where you'd like to serve, put your name, your email, and phone. Now listen, we do this sometimes, and it's like you're signing up for a t-shirt with a credit card company. Like you give us a bogus email address, all right? Please don't do that. If you don't want to serve, it's okay. Like, Don't fill it out, but if you're going to fill it out, give us the right information. Give us a phone number you answer. Give us an email address that you check. All right, we'd rather have the right information than the fake information. We're not giving you a gift for this, so there's no reason to lie. Just fill it out, all right? Ten weeks, God, I'm all in. Ten weeks, God, I'm all in. I'm all in for your house, God. I'm all in for your church, God. I am all in. Attendance, serving, giving praying, inviting. What could happen in your life? What could happen in a friend's life? Somebody you care about.